This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday, June 18th, and today. We'll be checking in on the latest from the NBA Conference semifinals. We will have a Game 7 between the Bucks and the Nets. And we have Game 6s between the Sixers and Hawks and the Clippers and Jazz on Friday night. We also actually have a big trade to talk about as Kemba Walker is reportedly on the move. And we will look in on all of that and more in just a second. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Right now I'm joined by Raphael Johnson and Steve Alexander, who had a big afternoon yesterday attempting what he has dubbed the Ben Simmons Challenge. Before we get started, here is Steve explaining what that is. I figure if Ben Simmons can hit 22 of 67 free throws in the playoffs thus far, I can probably do that blindfolded. If you didn't hear that, that was Steve in a gymnasium saying, I figure if Ben Simmons can hit 22 of 67 free throws in the playoffs, I can probably do that blindfolded. So Steve, what can you tell us about how it went? I'll tell you what, I missed my first three practice (laughs) shots, and then I hit four in a row, and I thought, this is cake. I've got this. But then when I put my wife's sleep mask over my eyes. Yeah. And, I'm just uh, going to, sorry. I just, for anyone who is watching on the podcast, like I'm going to try to show you just a visual of Steve in this sleep mask. It's absolutely terrifying. Wait, can you see that? There you go. <laughs> that thing is so frightening. Man. Yeah, okay. It's carry like, on, like, Steve. It's pink and it's fluffy. It's got one eye open and one, one eye, eye open. shut. Like, it's it's frightening, and I'm sure people in the gym watching me do this had they didn't know first of all what I was doing, and secondly why I was wearing a pink mask while I was doing it. I will say it's harder. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. It was 
especially difficult when I had the blindfold on. I did about the first 30 with the blindfold actually on my face. And it's funny when you, when you see the video, which is in production right now, whenever my, my 14 year old son was rebounding for me, he's so used to just throwing the ball <laughs> to me. I was like cringing and like ducking out of the way every time he, I heard him coming my way. And I, I hit 15, 15, 15, 15 of 67. Throws. So yeah. I have a, I have a logistical question. How was this going down? Like you were there with like your son and your daughter, right? Yeah. So were they positioning you at the free throw line or would no, you watch was, the free throw line and then put it on? No, I was peeking. I was peeking to, to get set. And then I pulled the mask down and shoot. Gotcha. And then I put, sometimes I pull it up right after I shot. Cause I, I thought it might go in or whatever. And, and other times I just let it roll. And then at, about halfway through, I stopped with the mask and just went to the Michael Jordan technique of just shutting my eyes. Yeah. Hopefully you said, hey, Matumbo, this is for you at one point. Well, I, I couldn't remember who Michael Jordan did that to. And my son was like, it's Matumbo, dad. Come on. <laughs> He's 14. I don't know how he knows that. But uh, anyway, all in all, it was pretty fun. And it was it was also fun taking up half the court when all these people were waiting to play basketball. And <laughs> like, what is this fat old guy doing out here shooting free throws with a pink blindfold on it it was fun but uh ben simmons beat me by seven and his eyes were open and he's paid millions and millions of dollars to shoot yeah. hundreds of free throws every day i haven't shot a free throw in six months Ralph, i went out in my backyard just because i was curious because i knew steve was doing this and i went out and just shot some i was shooting some jumpers and some free throws with my eyes closed i noticed that your mechanics actually change when your eyes are closed sometimes. Did you find that, Steve? Does that, Rav, have you ever tried this? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's all about, it's about muscle memory, if anything. Because yeah. like Steve said, if he hadn't shot free throws in six months, that muscle memory is gone. So I think it would be a lot harder to do it that way than, I think I'd be more interested to see if you shot free throws regularly for like two or three months and then tried it with the blindfold and see yeah. how you did. The good news is we're going to we're going to throw this hopefully throw this out to people and make make the Ben Simmons free throw challenge an actual thing and hopefully other people will put a blindfold on and take their kids to the gym and s somebody who shoots free throws a lot um maybe they can hit like 30 or 40 um blindfolded but it is it is the basket's further away and smaller than it seems when your eyes are closed uh, I'll just say that Steve, I got to know where your wife got that uh, mask because I'm going to do it, but I want, I got to do it in that mask. I can't do it any other way. I have no idea, but I can. I'll, uh, yeah, let's look into that. It. I'll FedEx it down there immediately. All right. All right. So let's get into, before we talk playoffs, let's get into some really surprising news from Friday morning. We have a trade to react to. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, Kemba Walker and the number 16 pick and a future, I think, 2025 second rounder are going to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second rounder. Raph, what was your reaction to this one when you saw it as you were watching uh, football this morning? I was a little surprised, um, but then again, I wasn't. I think Kemba's knee has proven to be a bit more problematic than anyone anticipated mm -hmm. for one. And two, watching the Celtics offensively, you know, I know obviously they didn't have Jalen Brown, but even when he wasn't out there, it just felt like there are too many isolation type players, you know, on the court. Mm -hmm. And the ball movement suffered. They were too stagnant offensively. I think 
getting Al Horford back if they keep him. I don't know what's going to happen there. But it, it's mainly a financial move um, because they, their tax bill gets lowered Boston. Horford could potentially help them if they hold on to him. Maybe second unit guy, you know, Moses Brown. I don't know what's going to happen there because you still have Robert Williams. Yeah. Even though he can't seem to stay healthy, you've got him. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Tristan Thompson as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in Boston. And also, they still don't have a head coach. So who knows <laughs> right. how that coach is going to want to play, how he's going to want to utilize those bigs. Oklahoma City, they've got another first-round pick. They're up to three guaranteed in this draft. Could be four if Houston falls out of the top four in a lottery Tuesday night. We've seen this with Sam Presti, where he's taken on bad contracts in addition to those drafts, that draft capital. So we don't know what that rebuild is ultimately going to look like for Oklahoma City. But, you know, you, you give yourself enough swings at the plate, you're bound to hit a home run, I guess you could say, when it comes to lottery picks. Or they could package some of those picks for, for an established talent. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is Presti and the Thunder have 18 first-round picks coming up in the next few years. Three of them this year. Uh, I I could see them because, you know, Oklahoma City was tank central last year, and they did a great job of tanking. Really, really top-notch. And they've got three first-round picks, including, I think, number six. Like, they can package their first round picks and try to get a stud young established player in there. They need to do something. They can't just keep drafting studs and waiting for everybody to, to figure it out and catch up. Eventually they're going to have to try to start winning games. Uh, I can see them making a move. The biggest thing, I mean, the props to Brad Stevens for getting rid of a Kemba Walker, $73 million contract or whatever it is. It's, it's a ridiculous contract. There was a lot of talk about like, what is Boston going to do? They're they're going to be killed by this contract for for years years to come, and uh, that is gone. That is out of the way, and now we, he can get a coach in there. They have some financial flexibility where they can go out and try to sign a really good player that they didn't have before. It better be a point guard because I don't think you want Peyton Pritchard running the show, and and. It, the only thing, other thing I have to say is Sam Presti uh, is better at collecting stuff than anybody else I know. He has 18 first-round draft picks. I have 35 pairs of NBA game-worn shoes. I, I think I'm cool. He's got 18 first-round draft picks. He collects draft <laughs> picks like some of us collect bobbleheads or quarters or you know uh, garbage pail kid cards. Wait, do you collect quarters, Steve? This could be a big revel. I this- don't. Okay, I, don't. Okay, I was going to say. But I'm, uh, grandma Grandma used to, used to give us a cardboard thing where you, where it had a slot for every sure. quarter with the, the state thing on the back. You know, I never really got into it, though. Yeah, so that Kemba contract, as you said, the number $73 million, It's $36 million this upcoming season. And then I think a $37 million player option the following year, which, guys, we have to think Kemba's going to pick that up the way things have been going with his knee. He'll never play for Oklahoma City, right? I don't, I don't think he will. Raph, do you have an initial thought on that? That's a good question. Like We've seen Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the past play alongside another point guard. But I think at this point, if you're Oklahoma City, you want the ball in his hands as much as possible. So the thing is, that with that contract, what do you do if you're Oklahoma City? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you're going to try to stretch that kind of money. You know, he's a stretch provision. So 
I really don't know what they're going to do there. It might be a situation where you, you try to get him back to full strength. Hopefully he shows well and you try to do something at the trade deadline. Right. Because I don't know if they're going to be able to move him again right now. Yeah, I mean, the Chris Paul blueprint would obviously be the ultimate, you know, best case scenario where when Chris Paul went to OKC, it was like, oh boy, this isn't going to be good. But he actually was good and they were way better than we expected. But the big X factor there obviously is Kemba's knee, which I I can't think of a player I will stay away from more in fantasy than Kemba Walker this upcoming season, especially now that he's in Oklahoma City. I mean, after Al Horford was shut down for about 90 games this year, I don't know how many games, I forget the exact number, but when it was Al Horford will rest for the remaining like 30 games, 30 whatever games, I was like, okay. Now we, we know where this is headed probably with Kemba if they can't trade him. And my other takeaway fantasy wise is you talked about how many centers there are now in Boston, depending on what happens with Horford. I mean, as much as we love Robert Williams, things could not be murkier in that center rotation. And Moses Brown arriving, Al Horford arriving is just brutal news for the Time Lords fantasy outlook as of June 18th, Raph. Yeah, uh, I think the good thing, at first glance, the good thing for him is that he was going to have a new head coach. because It seemed like Brad Stevens kind of had a cap on him when mm-hmm. he was healthy as to how much he could play. But now, oh, you think you got rid of me, huh? He brings in two bigs. And then, <laughs> I, I really don't know. I, I think... Horford could could be really helpful if they think they've got championship, you know, obviously they're going to have championship ambitions, but they feel like they're close to joining that class of Brooklyn, Milwaukee. I guess you'd put Philadelphia in there since they are the top seed, but if you feel comfortable with the group that you have, yeah, Atlanta, the future's bright for them too. So if if you're confident that with Tatum, a healthy Jalen Brown, those guys can get you back into that mix right away. Horford could have some value to Boston, but I don't know where, where they really see themselves right now, especially like we said, without a head coach. Yeah. And I don't think they're done. I mean, they're, they're going to hire a coach. I think they're going to go find a point guard and nobody's really talking about Moses Brown, but man, he looked really, really good at times this season. He's raw. He's young. A little training camp battle between the Time Lord and Moses Brown. The Time Lord and Moses. I want a T-shirt that says Time Lord and Moses on it. Uh, that that could be really fun. And if nothing else, Boston looks a lot younger right now than they did two hours ago. Steve, the next time you do the Ben Simmons free throw challenge, I want you wearing that Time Lord and Moses T-shirt while you do yeah, it. It's going to happen. I, I am, I mean, am going to have to do it again also. Yeah. Meanwhile, we had one game on Thursday night. It was the Bucks 104, the Nets 89. Kevin Durant scored 32 points with 11 rebounds, but needed 30 shots to get those 32 points. Didn't hit a single free throw. Also had seven turnovers. Raph, I mean, I think you give credit to the Bucks defense for starters, and it's starting to feel a lot like the Nets are really missing Kyrie Irving, especially with James Harden not quite fully up to speed yet. Yeah, uh, no other net took more than nine shots last night. Yeah. Um, I think that shows you where James Harden is in terms of his health, for one. Joe Harris has been struggling mightily of late. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge concern for Brooklyn when we look towards Game 7 because getting back home may be able to help him out, but this is a, this is a, a situation that's been going on for the last few games now, be it at home or in Milwaukee. So that's really a concern. You know Kevin Durant's going to be there. Uh, I think if you're Brooklyn, you're kind of betting that the specter of James Harden 
will merit enough respect from Milwaukee defensively to kind of get some other guys some clean looks. Um, I think Jeff Green, who's sensational in game five, kind of came back to earth last night, but I think he, he can be in line for another big game in game seven. They're going to need some of those other guys to really step up in a big way because as great as Kevin Durant is, one of the most gifted offensive players we've ever seen, I don't think he can do all the lifting by himself against Milwaukee, even with you know the, the Bucks' struggles on the road. Yeah, I, the key to this thing is home court because the Nets are yep. undefeated at home in these playoffs. The Bucks are undefeated at home in these playoffs. The Nets are the only one with a road win, I think, which was against the Celtics in like game four. But I think when it all is said and done, the fact that Brooklyn is at home for game seven Saturday night is going to be the key to the whole thing. We know Kevin Durant's going to go crazy whether P.J. Tucker is in his grill or not. To Ross' point, I think Jeff Green or Joe Harris need to step up and help him out. Um, and and also, uh, James Harden played 40 minutes last night, was not on a minutes count. We could easily see vintage James Harden in Game 7. I, I, I just think everything is stacked in the Nets' f- favor right now. Um, one thing that was interesting about last night was Giannis scored 22 of his 30 points in the paint. I think 64% of his shots came in inside the paint, which is by far the highest number he's had in these playoffs. And, and it sort of goes with what we were saying. Like, why is Giannis, when he's guarded by James Harden, doing a turnaround fadeaway baseline jumper when he should be putting it on the floor and going to the rack? And if you saw the end of that game, Giannis really took over and dominated inside. And I can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet, but Chris Middleton, man, what a night that guy had. He, he had a five-by-five, five, a fantasy five-by-five five with five steals, five threes, five – you know, he, he had five categories with at least five things. And uh, he was amazing, and he's going to need to do that again. Him and Giannis are going to need to both go crazy in Game 7 if they're going to pull one out in Brooklyn. And Drew Holiday put up numbers, but his shooting was terrible. I think it was one of ten from, from downtown. And – didn't shoot it very well from the floor, but he contributed and, and did enough. But I, I find it hard to believe Brooklyn's going to let this thing slip away at home. Well, Middleton's numbers that you referenced, Steve, 38 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 steals, 5 threes. Giannis went for 30 points, 17 rebounds, didn't attempt a three. And I got to say that, oh, by the way, Holiday had 21 those three combined for 89 points. That's as many as the Nets scored as a team. And that was 86% of the Bucks' total points overall. So the big three came up very big for Milwaukee. And just getting back to Giannis, I got to say, Raph, I don't know if you feel the same way, but his mid-range shot looks quite good. As much as his three, it looks like a struggle at times to get it there and get it there on target. I think he, just extend the range to mid-range and just, you know, make that your weapon outside of the paint to, to make the defense have something else to think about. I love that blueprint for him of, of shooting more mid-range and then just attacking in the paint. Yeah, he's just way too mechanical the further you get from the basket. Yeah. Um, it, it just it feels like he's kind of thinking about things a little too much. You can almost see the wheels churning when he winds up for a three. Right. Um, so, you know, he didn't put me up last night, as you mentioned. I'm a bit surprised we still haven't seen Bobby Portis just because of the lineups that Brooklyn has put out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Brooke Lopez really serves a purpose in his series. Like he, you know, he's had his moments or what have you, but overall he just looked like a poor fit in this rotation. But they, it seems quite clear they're not going to play Portis this series. So it is what it is. 
if they can get home Chris Middleton Saturday night, I think Milwaukee can win the game. His splits between home and road in this series are, are quite drastic offensively. So he's going to need to be closer to what he put up last night. I don't know if he's going to put up 38 again, but he's going to have to be high 20, I think, in order for Milwaukee to win this game. Yeah, I think, I think Middleton and Giannis both need to play really, really well for them to win this game. And uh, by the way, Middleton was five for eight on threes in that game. Everyone else was two for 25 for Milwaukee. And the <sighs> aforementioned Brooke Lopez was Milwaukee's fourth leading scorer with eight points. He scored eight of their other 15 points in that game. <laughs> Just <laughs> absurd. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Meanwhile, we've got two games on the schedule Friday night. So to look ahead to those, let's rewind to what happened on Wednesday. Of course, on Wednesday, we had the Hawks beating the Sixers 109-106. Just a ridiculous comeback by the Hawks, a ridiculous collapse by the Sixers. The Hawks were down 24 in this game, fairly late in the third quarter. And I just want to highlight one play I can't stop thinking about. The Hawks are down 24 points. Solomon Hill, who is in the game because the Hawks are almost waving the white flag at this point, gets the ball, drives into the lane. The defense collapses. He flips around backwards throws a shot over his head, just a wild reverse layup attempt with his back to the basket, which hits no rim, only backboard. Sixers get the rebound, just a horrendous shot attempt. They're down 24. Nothing else could possibly say more directly, this game is over. And the Hawks, Steve, won this game. Yeah, dude. Uh, what would it be fun is for you just to read our text thread from that game, um, which we're not going to do, but um well, i'll tell you the one I, thing i'll tell you the one thing that you did say i was like dude i'm out i'm if i didn't have to write this game up i would be gone i you Go said ahead. forgive me for forgive me for for bailing i've seen this movie before and i cannot <laughs> tell you how long i waited to reply to you i almost replied to you five different times as the hawks were creeping back but i just kept waiting until i didn't want to jinx it i just kept waiting go ahead steve and the, the key to that whole thing was kevin herter got in foul trouble when he breakaway layup for Ben Simmons pulls his jersey picks up what his fifth foul like like the Hawks clearly don't know how to fack a how to hack a Ben because they were terrible at it like the, the bogey and Herder were the ones fouling him you want solo hill and Tony Snell out there 
fouling the crap out of Ben Simmons. You don't want your starters out there doing that. Um, so because those two jokers got in terrible foul trouble, brought Lou Williams into the game. And Lou Williams took over, uh, scored 13 of his 15 in the fourth quarter, single-handedly started the comeback, basically led the comeback and was the key factor in the comeback. But once Lou Williams got the Hawks' motor going a little bit, then Trey stepped in. Johnny Collins stepped up a little bit. Danilo Gallinari hit some some key shots, some little little uh, mid range fadeaways and whatnot. But I literally thought this game was over. Like I, I was like, if I didn't have to write this up, I think I would just watch the Braves and just turn this off. Because as I told you in the text, I've seen how this movie ends, and I don't want to watch it again. And they totally proved me wrong. The whole the whole slogan for the Hawks right now is believe. And I clearly did not listen and was not believing. And I'm just glad, you know, I've talked to several people because now since the Hawks are hot, everyone, everybody wants to talk about the Hawks. I've had like four different people tell me, yeah, I turned it off, you know, at the beginning of the fourth quarter and went to bed. I didn't know they won until I woke up in the morning. I was like, thank goodness I didn't do that. Raph, what was going through your mind during this one? I was pretty upset, actually, because the game had gotten bad. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a nap and wake up for the uh, the Clippers Jazz game. But I was really tired. I'm, I'm going to take a nap, wake up for that. And I think Atlanta started their run about late third quarter, and they Correct. got it down to about 15 or 16. I want to say. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I got to stay up and watch this, you know. And I'm, I'm glad I did, but it's like we just watched someone shoot four for 14 from the foul line. Not from the field. Yeah. Foul line. At home on a shot that no one can defend. It it got bad to the point where the final possessions of the fourth quarter, they were basically playing four and five offensively because they knew if they threw Ben the ball, Atlanta's going to foul him, as they should have. I I know what he brings to the table defensively, and he's a, a really good playmaker in terms of distributing the ball and whatnot. But you can't be a star and be a guy that forces your team to essentially play four on five in crunch time. That can't happen. I know Tobias Harris shot two of 11 from the field. I think he's going to bounce back tonight because he scored 20 or more in the first four games of the series. I can live with a guy shooting two of 11 from the field. Mm-hmm. Four for 14 from the foul line, I can't live with that. And it seemed that a lot of people in Philly couldn't either, and I don't blame them. Well, yeah, I agree with you on the Simmons thing, and they were totally playing four on five. I, I rewatched the fourth quarter of that game last night because I, you know, basically blacked out while it was happening. I was I was so stressed out, but yeah, Simmons would bring it up quickly, hand it off, and then set a pick, and he was out of the play. It was four on five, and as for Harris, I mean, you can live w- with the two for eleven, but he's got he's also got to shoot more. I mean, he he's got to be more involved. Yeah, he didn't take a free throw, so. Curry and Embiid were the only guys in the second half who made a field goal for Philadelphia. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Curry had 37, Embiid had 37, but Embiid, after going 8 for 8 in the first quarter, was 4 for 12 after that. Curry was raining jumpers all night, but also got torched down the stretch on defense. The Hawks were just going after him. Lou Williams and Trey Young were, were scoring at will on Seth Curry. So, uh, yeah, Steve, I, I think you were about to jump in there when I went off on that tangent. So what were you about to say? Yeah, I, I blacked out like you often do and have no idea what I was going to say, but uh, Dallas cannot be thrilled that they don't have Seth Curry on their team anymore. Like he, he looks like mini Steph out there right now. And he, he's so confident and just looked 
really fantastic. So I, I tell you what, we got tip off for this game in about what six and a half, seven hours. And it's a big one. This is a big one for the, for the Atlanta Hawks. It's, they have to win this game. They don't actually have to. Can't wait to watch it. It would be, they it would don't be nice have to, do. but they do have to. They don't. They can't go back. They can't go back to Philly. Yeah. And and, and last point, I did think it was interesting, Raph. I, you know, we talked so much about Simmons' defense. Just in rewatching that game and rewatching Game Four, I don't know. I feel like his his defense has been really hit or miss as well. There's some possessions where he's completely locking down Trey Young. And then there's other plays where Trey gets by him with almost no resistance. So I can't figure that aspect of it out either, where Simmons looks all world on defense, some plays and others just basically just lets Trey go. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was just going to say, I remember what I was going to say. My favorite thing I saw on Twitter regarding Ben Simmons, other than the Ben Simmons challenge, of course, was uh, somebody posted the clip from office space where they're, making these people basically interview to keep their jobs. And the one Bob is like, so, and he pushes his glasses up. He said, so uh, what exactly would you say you do here? And like, that's sort of what I, how I feel about Ben Simmons right now. Like, what are you doing besides bricking free throws and occasionally doing team oriented stuff? Like for as good of a player as Ben Simmons is, he does not fit on that team it just doesn't work it doesn't work either though to try to hide him so they're in a real weird bind it also doesn't work to have him out of the game because then you have george hill or tyrese maxey or shake milton in the game and other than that one stretch where shake milton was awesome as a hawks fan you love seeing shake milton on the floor because i don't feel like he's making great decisions and so raf what do they do I mean, you either have to go all in and let Ben Simmons miss 15 free throws and maybe get a triple-double and just be more involved, and maybe their offense is better for it, or he's got to sit. I don't know. What's the solution? They don't really have another playmaker, though. Yeah, I know. I agree. You know, you mentioned Shake Milton, and the problem with Shake is that outside of Dwight Howard, I don't know if there's another bench player that Hawks fans have been happier to see in this series. Like you said, he did have that one stretch in the one game, but... Other than that, he really hasn't given the Sixers a whole lot. Tyrese Maxey's a rookie. You're not going to expect too much from him. George Hill's never been like a prolific scoring type himself. So if anything you need, you're going to need even more. Tobias Harris to not just add more scoring, but do a bit more in terms of playmaking for others too. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to have Simmons out there, and you can't put the ball in his hands because you're afraid he's going to be fouled intentionally, someone else is going to have to make those plays. It's obviously not going to be Furk on Korkmaz. Seth Curry, I think he's more of a perimeter shooter. Let's be honest about that. And he's done a very good job of it, of course. But yeah, I think this is going to be a huge game for Tobias Harris. I think as he goes, Philadelphia is going to go Friday night. I know they got Embiid. Embiid's going to get his. I know he got a bit... Kind of proved Clint Capella right. He got a bit fatigued after getting off that hot start. But you know what he's going to bring to the table. I think we're pretty confident in what Steph Curry is going to bring too. But in terms of that playmaking ability and that scoring ability, I think Tobias is going to be the key here. If he has a big night, I think this game, this series is going back to Philly. I also think if you're Philly, 
you have to tell Ben Simmons, go be yourself, go to the whole attack. Yeah. I mean, because mm-hmm. first of all, there have been plenty of times where ben, when Ben Simmons gets ahead of steam, no one's getting in his way anyways, you know, to sit, step in and foul him. So that's for starters. I would be like, play fast, attack, be yourself. If we get, if you miss 15 free throws, all right, we may pull you for a minute, but get in there and play because he's like a shell of himself right now, the way they have him playing. And they're, that's playing into the Hawks' hands in a big way. So that would be the big adjustment for me uh, if I'm Philly. Yeah, and if if the Hawks are going to hack a Ben, like let's do it right. Let's have the right guys foul him, and then when he does miss free throws, let's not let Joel Embiid, and Tobias <laughs> so Harris brutal. get the rebound. Like, come on, dude. That was brutal. That was brutal. All right. Well, game six is coming up, as you said, Stephen, about seven hours, and uh, I need more time, as I like to say. Let's <laughs> talk about the other game from Wednesday night, a real stunner in Utah. The Clippers beat the Jazz one nineteen. 111. We said the Clippers were toast with no Kawhi Leonard. Meanwhile, Paul George comes out and leads the way with 37 points, 16 rebounds, five assists to lead LA to victory. Marcus Morris, who's been really hit or miss this postseason, added 25 points himself. Reggie Jackson was really good in this game with 22. Some huge buckets down the stretch. What stood out to you in this one overall, Raf? Um, for one, Paul George. Um, he's been a much maligned character. You know, on this show and, and other parts. Um, on on this show, wait, on this show. <laughs> no, I, I criticized him as well. You know, <laughs> but he really stepped up and he deserves credit for that. Yeah, you know, he he got back as he said he got back to Indiana, Paul, uh, in terms of taking over the game, doing whatever it took on both ends of the floor to win it. Uh, they got contributions from Morris and Jackson, as you noted. The thing that stood out to me is that Donovan Mitchell does not look healthy right now. Mm-hmm. He said as much in terms of his ankle. Still no Mike Conley. And when you've got your best playmaker hobbled, the other one sitting out, Utah's in a tough spot because a lot of their offense is kind of predicated on that, that spread pick and roll, you know, working, driving the paint and kicking it off with three-pointers. Those looks aren't there because the Clippers can switch everything. And, and Mitchell isn't as explosive as we used to, used to seeing him. So I think Utah is in trouble here. I, I really do because of the Mitchell situation. And I haven't heard anything yet on Conley, but I, I don't expect to see him out on the court tonight. Yeah, the last thing I read about Conley was he was warming up, but he wasn't really running, and he was just shooting set shots. And it doesn't sound to me like he – if he does play, it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to, to do – a whole lot. <laughs> One of my favorite things I saw on Twitter, I'm trying to find it so I can tell you who actually tweeted it. He said, the Jazz miss Mike Conley more than the Clippers miss Kawhi Leonard, which I said something like, ooh, hot take, but you might be right. He's like, it's not a hot take, it's true, which that's really interesting to me because... That's pretty hot. I'm just going to say it. Kawhi that's, Leonard... That's pretty hot. <laughs> Kawhi Leonard is a monster, and he's being replaced by Terrence Mann and Marcus Marcus Morris. Uh, whereas you know Conley's got Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson, and you know guys who have been making a pretty big impact all year long. But I mean, it's sort of true because I think if you look at Utah's offense, they don't have with with Mitchell limited, they don't have somebody like running the show, and it's just sort of a hodgepodge of it's sort of like with Ben Simmons in Philly, like what do we do? And uh, Conley's loss is, is huge. I don't see him playing in this game. Donovan Mitchell's definitely going to play, 
I think Utah's going to bounce back and win this game. I think this series is destined for seven, but I would not be surprised at all if the Clippers eliminate them. It's going to depend on our guy, Paul George. He scored 30 in three straight. Makes me look like an idiot. He's been playing really, really well. But is he just setting us up for the four of 19 shooting night and a total collapse? I don't know. We'll find out. Or the other the other aspect of this where if you're looking for optimism if you're Utah, Marcus Morris had to had to go off. Reggie Jackson had to go off. Terrence Mann had to play well all in the same night for that to happen. And Paul George was spectacular. So a lot had to go right in a game that was really close. And Donovan Mitchell, meanwhile, shot six for 19 and four for 14 on threes. Now, the ankle may, you know, clearly a factor there, we think. But you're looking at a game where a lot went wrong for Utah. A lot went right for L.A., and it was still really close, Raph. I guess. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But the way I look at it is that role players tend to play better at home. Yeah. And this game's going to be in L.A. You know, the, the routine you know, that, that they may be used to, I think, would be helpful for the Clippers. I think Paul George is going to have another spectacular night. I'm going to put my chips, shove all my chips in the middle of the table here. I think Paul's going to do his thing. I think, but with Utah, in addition to the point guard, a lack of like, you know, play explosive playmakers, they're really lacking on the wings too. When it comes to athletic, you know, athletic guys who can defend multiple positions and do a little bit of that because you see this criticism of Rudy Gobert. It's not his fault. He's got guys getting beat like a drum on the perimeter. And you can only do so much, especially when you're up against a spread offense where they can kind of draw you away from the paint. So and unless Utah gets more guys who suddenly decide they want to sit down defensively and guard someone outside of Royce O'Neal, they're going to have a tough time. Maybe they can win two straight and, and salvage this series, but it's going to be an issue against Phoenix if they do that. I think the Clippers are going to win this series. And I think they get it done Friday night because of the defensive struggles and the lack of consistent, you know, playmakers on the perimeter for them. Uh, it was Chuck Cooperstein that said, uh, had that hot take by Kawhi and Conley. So the only other thing I want to say about the series is I don't think I realized how good Reggie Jackson could actually be. He's playing really, really well. I think they're letting Paul George run the offense and, Reggie's just kind of playing the shooting guard role and yeah, he's thriving. Like he looks confident from three. He looks kind of badass out there in those sunglasses he's wearing, his <laughs> his Oakley shades that he's wearing on the court. And he he is really stepped up and given the Clippers a huge spark in a spot they needed it. And I I, I bet you Utah wishes they had a Reggie Jackson on their team right now. I agree with you, Steve. And I I went and looked at Reggie's numbers in the playoffs. He's sitting around 16 points per game, been shooting 49% from the field and 43.5% on threes in his 12 playoff games. So he's been really good, and I think you identified the key. He, he's basically just a scorer. The Clippers are using him as a scorer and a jump shooter, and he's been really good in that role. And, uh, yeah, take away a lot of the playmaking responsibility, and he's been really good, Raph. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You get him in that supplementary role where you don't have to rely on him setting things up every time down. That's been a, bit, a big, big boost for them. Um, they've gotten good minutes from Patrick Beverly defensively. We saw Rajon Rondo back in the in the rotation the other night, but he's got, he's been dealing with knee soreness, if I'm not mistaken. So 
Don't really expect too much there, but I still think the Clippers have more than enough to take care of. All right, well, that is going to do it for us as the landscaping picks up steam. <laughs> Shay Raff. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and for watching live with us on YouTube. We're back Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week. Raff, Steve, thanks to both of you. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.